0: Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 155. Today's topic is DSA's Green New Deal, Part 9. So DSA is Democratic Socialists of America, and we've been talking about their version of the Green New Deal for eight previous episodes. Now we're on nine and it will take several more episodes to get through this, but I'm having fun along the way, and I hope you are too. We'll be talking about the DSA's version of the Green New Deal in a few minutes, but first, here's what the Climate Report is all about. So at the Climate Report, we talk about climate change and other threats, other serious threats to our existence, and serious threats to the you know future of the human race we want all people to survive we want all people to thrive we want all people to experience prosperity but we have a ruling elite and an economic system and a political system that are in my humble opinion at war with human prosperity and even at war with human survival now these other uh, threats There's a term that I can't quite think of right now, but it's something to the effect of when there are several phenomena that kind of feed into each other. So, for example, if climate and drought and war and mass migration are all threats to the stability of our society, then any one of those can feed upon the others, and it does. So, climate itself can set in motion a series of events which trigger other events, which in turn trigger other events. And it would be one thing if we were mobilized to address these challenges. But in fact, we are not mobilized because we have political leadership, business leadership, and media leadership that is part of the problem, not part of the solution. It makes you want to say lead, follow, or get out of the way. And Trump is part of the problem, but he's a symptom. If Trump were that problematic to the Democratic leadership then they would be raising hell right now. And President Obama does not, repeat not, have a sterling record when it comes to addressing these compound multiple problems such as climate change and biodiversity loss and war. So we have multiple problems to deal with, all of which feed upon one another, any one of which could set in motion a series of events that would lead to a future that nobody wants, and yet our political leadership can't be bothered, and our business leaders can't be bothered. And our mainstream corporate media can't be bothered. So that's the situation that you and I, as citizens, citizens of our country, citizens of our community, citizens of the world, hopefully, And so that's something that we citizens face. It cannot be emphasized too often or too strongly that we have multiple grave issues to deal with, and that our political leadership is anything but up to the challenge. Therefore, we have to do something about it. We cannot rest assured in the naive notion that somebody is going to take care of us because they're not. The leadership in Washington, D.C. is part of the problem and not part of the solution. Therefore, we need to become activists. Now, the word activist brings to mind, I don't know what you think of the word activist, but to to me, you know how words have a dictionary meaning and then they have a connotation. So the word citizen might have a positive connotation, but the word activist does not have a categorically positive connotation. We might think an activist as an oddball. We might think of an activist as somebody who has a particular issue that they focus on and they spend their lives working on that issue, maybe to no avail. Most of us have better things to do. But we need to start thinking of activism as very necessary and very positive. We, can, we are in a position to create a whole new world. We can Create a whole new world. And I would argue that we must create a whole new world. We have two motivations one is the carrot, and one is the stick. We should want to create a whole new world because it will be a better world for everybody. That's the carrot. And we should want to create a whole new world because the alternative is to have a world that nobody wants, a world in which we cannot even survive, let alone thrive. We already live in a world that is killing many people. I don't know what the numbers are, but there is a certain number of people who die every year because of climate change. And there are a certain number of people who die every year because of the negative effects of what these mega corporations are doing to our world. There are a certain number of people who die every year from starvation because of the way agribusiness operates. We need to change our agricultural system so that it's no longer dominated by agribusiness interests, whose methods cause drought and starvation and poverty and some of them are taking dead aim at the biodiversity of our planet. It may be that the agribusiness industry is even more destructive than the fossil fuel industry, or at least it's in the same league. But the agribusiness and the fossil fuel industry have in common that they are not being reined in by our political leadership. And most citizens are at present helpless to change these very destructive industries, but it need not be that way. It need not stay that way. We can change these destructive corporate industries and thereby transform our political and economic system, and that's what we need to do by practicing the pillars of activism, educate, organize, agitate. We educate ourselves and one another, we get organized, and we let our voice be heard. But we don't let our voice be heard as isolated individuals, we let our voice be heard as an organized movement. And that's what the Climate Report is all about. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. To the extent that I mention any people or organizations in this program, I am giving my own opinion and not theirs. For example, I am giving my reactions to DSA's Green New Deal, but I'm not their official spokesperson. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. And if you enjoy this content, I invite you to go to theclimatereport.net to find more episodes and playlists, and also my blog. Now, let's get into the Green New Deal, the DSA's Green New Deal, where we left off last time. They have seven guiding principles, and we are on guiding principle number three. Last time we talked about 3A and 3B, which go, we're going to center the working class in a just transition to an economy of societal and ecological care. And we are also going to guarantee a job with union wages and benefits to everyone who wants one. By creating millions of public sector jobs and funding massive direct Investments to build decarbonized infrastructure in critical sectors like renewable energy, regenerative agriculture, soil and ecosystem restoration, environmental impact mitigation, and climate adaptation. So, letter C is by creating millions of public sector jobs. So, we will create millions of public sector jobs. So in my mind, there is almost an endless list of good public sector jobs that could be created. On this uh, podcast, I have tried, and I don't think very successfully, to communicate the range of possibilities that there are in public sector jobs. But what, what we have to get away from is the flawed notion that the free market is the only one that can create jobs or the free market that it is the only one that should create jobs. We have this false notion. We've been told through free market propaganda, we've been told that private enterprise is more efficient than government. And while there are some socially responsible businesses, and I think we can have a conversation as to the role of private business in the new world that we want to create. We could have that conversation because some people would think that, you know, capitalism is fine on a small scale. Some people would think that. And I think the main problem with capitalism right now is not small businesses, but these large corporations. And then there's another person who would say, no, small businesses are still capitalist enterprises and thereby There is a natural tendency toward exploitation, exploitation of labor, exploitation of the environment. So, therefore, all businesses or organizations should be worker-owned enterprises, also known as cooperatives. And that's fine. We can have that conversation. We should have that conversation. But what I'm 100% sure of is that our minds have been polluted, by this silly and stupid notion that government just needs to get out of the way and let business do what it does, and that drives economic growth, and everybody's happy, and the benefits of economic growth trickle down to everybody except those that are dumb and lazy. What I'm referring to is what I call the free market fairy tale. Anybody who is objective and has a knowledge of the facts can tell for one thing, that private ambition does not always lead to public good. And that's what the free market propagandists want us to believe, that private ambition always leads to public good. Nobody really believes that, but we are duped into believing it long enough to let business get away with murder. And I mean murder quite literally. There should be a corporate death penalty. Corporate CEOs in the pharmaceutical industry who have a negative impact on public health never go to jail for their crimes. We might be witnessing an exception to that rule right now, but overwhelmingly corporate officers are not allowed or not indicted for what they do even when people die as a result. So we need to be exposed to the facts objectively and when we are exposed to the objective facts most people will remember the days of the free market fairy tale kind of like a belief in Santa Claus. Somebody told it to you for a while and then you started to put two and two together and you don't believe that anymore. So when you When somebody asks you, well, what about the free market? And you are to respond, what about the free market? You know, the hardest thing to respond to is a a question that, that begins with, what about? When somebody does that, they are trying to shift the burden of proof to you. It's called a whataboutism. It's also called concern trolling, where somebody is pretending to be concerned and thereby shifting the burden of proof to you. But if you want a better world, a more sustainable world, and a more just world, the burden of proof is not on you. The burden of proof is on the people who want to sustain business as usual, which is unsustainable. So we were talking about public sector jobs. One of these days I'm going to do a series, and I've done this in the past, I think I did a series called Green New Jobs. So email me at info at net if you want two or three episodes relating to green new jobs. But the upshot is that there are a bunch of new jobs that we can create. In fact, we will be creating whole new industries. Economic prosperity cannot be entrusted to the free market. The free market would have never developed computer technology, for one thing. The most dynamic sectors of our economy are those sectors that utilize technology that was funded by the government. So let's stop thinking that public sector jobs are, are second-rate jobs. The entire military is made up of, yes, there are private contractors, but every soldier is a public sector employee. Teachers are public sector employees. The idea that government jobs are a burden on society is a big, fat myth. Continuing to read. We will be funding massive direct investments to build decarbonized infrastructure. So there is high carbon infrastructure. There's fossil fuel infrastructure, and then there is decarbonized infrastructure. Interstate highways are primarily a fossil fuel infrastructure. We need to take our interstate highways, and we need to put, we need to dedicate lanes and medians to high-speed electric trains. Another example of fossil fuel infrastructure is an energy grid that primarily gets its electrical energy from coal-burning power plants. We need to say just say no to any more coal-burning power plants. We need to say yes to solar panels and wind power. We also, in my opinion, need to stop now in the manufacture of new automobiles. As I'm talking about combustion, uh, internal combustion automobiles. We need to just stop now. The same, plan, somebody might say, well, what about the workers? There's a whataboutism for you. What about the workers in those uh, auto plants? Okay, What about those workers in those auto plants? For one thing, we're not going to li- rely on the free market to give them jobs. The free market needs competition from the public sector. The public sector needs to come along and create a lot of jobs and industries that we need so that people will voluntarily migrate from fossil fuel intensive industries into decarbonized industries. We know how to do this. The question is whether we will do this. And the question is how much will we be slowed down by the propaganda of business leaders and politicians who are on the take? And how much will we be slowed down by a corporate media that is completely and entirely dedicated to the most rapacious and antisocial corporations such as defense contractors and fossil fuel companies and agribusiness and the big pharmaceutical companies you can go on and on but the media is complete the mainstream corporate media is completely beholden to these companies and industries whose activities rise to the level of criminality so continuing to read it says we're going to build a decarbonized infrastructure in critical sectors like renewable energy regenerative agriculture soil and ecosystem restoration environmental impact mitigation and climate adaptation so number one renewable energy that means so when I think of renewable energy the main categories are solar and wind. So the defenders of business as usual on the issue of solar and wind and I'm talking about newspapers and you know corporate media Fox News, New York Times, Wall Street Journal they're they're posing as the voice of reason. The other day one of them said that people who want to do solar and wind don't know how energy is generated. Or I was reading the Wall Street Journal one time and it said something to the effect of, yeah, the Green New Odeal is fine and it's well-intentioned, but let's not get carried away. Such people know they can't prevent change, but they are trying to stand in the way of change and they're trying to slow down the change because they are working for people who are making quite a lot of money, thank you, on business as usual. But anyway, it's true that solar and wind energy power generation will not be fully functional or fully efficacious until such time as we have a state-of-the-art energy grid. In other words, we need an energy grid where when you have a solar panel on your home, that solar panel feeds energy into the grid. Right now, we can do some of that, but not enough of that. If we want to fully utilize the power that's generated from solar and wind, then we need a state-of-the-art energy grid. One that is more responsive, one where energy can go both ways, one that can allocate energy from the source of where it's generated to the place where it's needed. Hey, I know, let's get busy creating such a thing. We can do it if we want to. The question is whether we want to. And right now we have a situation where two-thirds of the American people want this. Two-thirds of the rest are going to want it when they have a full knowledge of the facts. But we have this teensy-weensy minority that is making quite a lot of money, thank you, off of business as usual. And they don't want to change and they don't want you and I to change. The next item is regenerative agriculture, regenerative agriculture. So here's the thing. Our agriculture system, such as it currently is, uses a lot of fossil fuel. It takes 10 calories of fossil fuel to make one calorie of edible food. That doesn't seem very smart, does it? By contrast, according to Vandana Shiva, When you have sustainable agriculture, it only takes a half a calorie of inputs to generate a calorie of food. That seems smart, doesn't it? The thing is, sustainable agriculture is not profitable for the agribusiness giants who are making quite a lot of money, thank you, off of business as usual. But agribusiness is not only not sustainable, it is at war with life as we know it. You have to understand that the purpose of a corporation is to make money and they are only allowed to focus on short-term gains and short-term profits. They are not allowed to focus on the long-term and they are not allowed to focus on the benefits to society. We need an agricultural system that is not at war with our pollinators. We need an agricultural system that is not at war with our clean water. We need an agricultural system that does not cause dramatic erosion and loss of topsoil. The next item mentioned is soil and ecosystem restoration. So, soil restoration. We need to spend a lot of time and money working on soil restoration. We need to create a lot of public sector jobs dedicated to soil restoration. And that's not simple, but I do know that planting trees is a big part of the solution. Planting the right cover crops can be a big part of the solution. Next item is ecosystem restoration, and a thing that is near and dear to my heart. So we can have ecosystem restoration by the way that we handle and manage our forests. We can have ecosystem restoration by the way that we manage our residential landscapes. We can have ecosystem restoration by the way we manage our commercial landscapes. We can have ecosystem restoration by the way we manage our public lands. There's lots of things that we can do. The main ingredients of it are to remove invasive plants, plant native plants, plant trees, and avoid the use of chemical pesticides. Think of those four things that I just named and note please that private industry has no incentive to do any of that The free market, under the best of circumstances, would not have any incentive to restore our ecosystems. The free market does not have any incentive to remove invasive species or plant native species or plant trees or avoid the use of chemical pesticides. It's not what the free market does because it interferes with their profits. Anybody who restores ecosystems must do so out of a sense of public-mindedness. And there is a small amount of public funding available for that now, but there needs to be a large amount of public funding available for the restoration of ecosystems. Now, the next item is environmental impact mitigation. And I don't pretend to know a lot about environmental impact mitigation. I think the main thing we need to do in terms of environmental impact is to stop causing harm. But I don't doubt that there's a lot that we can also do in terms of mitigating the impact of industries that pollute, etc. I do know that the way private industry operates Business makes a lot of money off of solving problems that they caused. For example, health insurance companies make money, or more vividly, pharmaceutical companies make money curing the diseases that have been caused by a society that does not want to practice prevention. But it's not the fault of society, it's the fault of the economic and political system that we have. But it's the same thing with environmental impact mitigation. Private industries make money solving the problems that private industry has caused. So, I've got about a minute left. I want to leave you with something to think about. We have every reason to want to create a whole new world. Our motivation for creating a a whole new world is twofold. One is the carrot and one is the stick. We want to create a whole new world because a whole new world is available that is cleaner, that is more just. A world is available to us in terms of a cleaner, healthier, safer world. And a world where there truly is equal opportunity, or at least opportunity that is equal as we can make it. And if we don't work to create that whole new world, then what we will have is a world that nobody wants. What we have now is a commercial free enterprise system that in addition to creating a lot of pollution and economic injustice has also worked hard to make us very cynical because cynical, unhappy people are much easier to sell to. Cynical, unhappy people are more likely to buy products and services in order to fill the void created by cynicism and isolation. But it need not be that way. Thank you for joining me. Hope you come back soon. Have a great day.